Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this passage of Scripture gives to us tonight the right biblical attitude toward and perspective of preaching and preachers. We need preachers. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world over, needs preachers. And the Protestant Reformed churches specifically need preachers. Don't have to go through all of the statistics and the facts. You're well aware of the fact that we have many, many vacancies and many men of late who have been or are retiring. We have lost a few men in the last couple of years in the way of sin. And there's always the need for manpower on the mission field at home and abroad. The harvest is always plenteous. The laborers are always few. We always need more preachers, more men to study in the seminary. But how will the young men aspire to the gospel ministry and take this call seriously and pray about it? And how will you, in your personal devotions, beseech God for more and more ministers And how will you as heads of households, when you gather together for family worship, pray consistently that God give us more ministers if we do not have the right biblical attitude toward and perspective of preaching and preachers? Well, this passage of Scripture sets the tone and this Word of God shapes our understanding where it declares, How beautiful are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings. That's the teaching of the Scriptures. How beautiful. And we want to hear that Word of God to us tonight. When Isaiah first spoke these words, he was speaking to the people of Judah in in Jerusalem and in the Holy Land there, but God had given to him the prophetic perspective so that he was allowed to see into the future and behold Judah in captivity in Babylon. And so he writes from that perspective, and Isaiah 52 is a great word of deliverance, so that it begins, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. That is, Zion in captivity, this is the day of your deliverance. Wake up and arise. So that's the chapter. The text is a description of the great joy and gladness that the people of Zion have when they receive from God a messenger with a word of salvation and deliverance. And so, the prophet Isaiah and the people of his day have learned to say, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good tidings. And not only with a word of deliverance from an earthly power, but deeper, a word of deliverance from sin and death and the wrath of God. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring to us good tidings. That's the exclamation of Zion always, and that's the word we want to consider tonight. So let's do that, taking as our theme, how beautiful the preacher's feet. And let's look first at the meaning of this, second, the reason for this, and third, the exclaiming of this. 
the basic, core, fundamental word of this passage of Scripture is that the coming of God's messenger is beautiful to Zion. The text is speaking of a messenger. We read how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. And the Him is identified in the participial phrases that follow. So this Him brings good tidings. Publishes or makes known peace. Brings good tidings of good publishes salvation, and then has something to say in all of this, thy God reigneth. So the text is speaking of a messenger, obviously, a messenger from God, because God's the only one who has a word of salvation, from God, and a messenger unto Zion. And Zion in the text refers to Mount Zion, where Jerusalem was built and where the temple was, but Zion as a picture of the church of God, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a messenger to God's people, Zion. And the main truth about this messenger is that the coming of Him is beautiful to Zion. And that's the teaching of the text with that statement, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. The feet of Him is not to be taken literally. As if the messenger's feet are literally, physically beautiful. Now there are many qualifications for the Gospel ministry and for being a messenger of the Lord. Having physically beautiful feet is not one of those qualifications. In fact, there may be many, many messengers who have rather ugly and unattractive feet that would be best covered up. That's okay. The main thing is the message that he delivers, not how his feet look. And so the text is not to be understood literally, beautiful physical feet, but it's a figurative description of the messenger's coming. His coming is beautiful. The text does not say how beautiful to our eyes are the feet of Him. But the text says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. So here's Mount Zion where the temple is, where the people of God are, and surrounded by many other mountains and mountainsides. And here comes a messenger moving across one mountain and across another mountainside on his way to Zion. And the means by which he moves are his feet. And so Zion says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him, which is to say, how beautiful is the coming of Him as He comes to Zion. He has a message, a good message, that's wonderful, but what if He doesn't have any feet whereby He comes? How beautiful are the feet, that is, the coming of God's messenger. Now to use an illustration, the coming of a tulip is very beautiful in the spring. A tulip is beautiful, but that's not the point. It's the coming. After the long, harsh, and bitter cold winter, when the air begins to warm, and that little green shoot pops out of the soil, 
and it starts to grow. And now you have all the, these delicate, beautiful petals, flowers of, of pink and red and yellow and orange. And this whole coming of the tulip signifying the end of the death of winter and now the renewal of all things. It's not just the tulip, but it's the coming of the tulip that's beautiful to us in the springtime. So the messenger of Jehovah, His coming is beautiful. And included in that beautiful coming is the swiftness of it. For messengers do not walk, they do not jog, they do not stroll, they run. Remember the history of the battle between David and his men and Absalom and his men. And one day, uh, King David was sitting in the gate and one of the watchmen was up on the roof and he sees two men running. And he says, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, And the king said, he is a good man and cometh with good tidings. Now actually the message would cause David to sob, but the point is it's a messenger and he comes with a message and he comes running. And so it's the swiftness of the coming of the messenger of the Lord that's so beautiful. There's an urgency to His coming because He has something so wonderful for God's people. How beautiful is the messenger's coming? Beautiful like the coming of a tulip, like the coming of a sunrise, like the coming of a new little baby, the first little baby in a family, like the coming of a bride in her beautiful white wedding dress as she comes down the aisle. And it's these kinds of things that generate excitement. And everyone talks about these things. And now here's the messenger of Jehovah moving through the mountainside on his way to Zion. And Zion exclaims, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. How beautiful is His coming. Now that basic word of the text has an immediate It has an ultimate and it has a broad application. First of all, the immediate application is to the messenger of Zion in Isaiah's day. That is, in the days of the old dispensation, God would have a message of salvation and He would bring it to His people through a messenger. And whether God spoke directly to Moses as He did on the mountain, or whether God spoke through the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, or whether God would speak through the pictures and types like Passover, Passover contained a message, or whether God, and especially when God, would bring a message through the prophets like Isaiah, who were in their office of a prophet, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God had a message, and He brought it to His people through the messenger, then Zion would learn to exclaim, how beautiful to us is the coming of this messenger. The ultimate application is to Christ. He is the messenger par excellence. Malachi calls him the messenger of the covenant. 
There's a reason the text does not use the plural pronoun when we would probably expect the plural, but instead uses the singular. The text does not say, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them, because there are many of them. But the text says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him. And in the ultimate sense of the word, Him in the text is to be identified as the promised Messiah. Him in the text is identified later in verse 13 as the servant of Jehovah. And Him is further identified in the following chapter, which is very well known to us, Isaiah chapter 53, as the He. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and so on and so forth. So that Isaiah 52 verse 7 is, ultimately, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came. And His coming is most beautiful of all to the poor sinners of Zion. He came out of the eternal counsel of God where He was appointed the head and mediator of the covenant. He came. And He came through the entirety of the old dispensation when God would speak directly to Moses or through the patriarchs or through the types and the shadows of the law or through the prophets. When God brought a message Christ Himself was coming through that message, though it was in a shadowy way. But then He came one day, not just as another man who was moving swiftly with His feet from one mountainside to the next, but He came out of the very bosom of the Father in heaven. And He came as the Son of God incarnate, right into the womb of a virgin conceived by the Holy Ghost. And He came out of the womb of a virgin. And He came as Emmanuel, God with us. And He came not only as the messenger of the covenant, but as the message of the covenant. Because He is the Word of God incarnate. So that to have Him, to see Him, and to know Him is to have the message of Jehovah God. He came And he came literally and physically. He was a man and he had feet. And he did move with his feet. He moved through Judea for three plus years, sometimes going right up Mount Zion into the temple. And he moved through Samaria and he moved into Galilee and sometimes right up the mountainside where he would teach the people. And he always moved swiftly. When you read the Gospels and you read the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Mark really emphasizes this, do you not stand in awe of His swiftness? He moved swiftly with not a moment to spare. And ultimately because He was setting His face toward Jerusalem. And He was bearing the guilt of Zion. And He would go to Jerusalem atop Mount Zion where He would make an atonement for the sins of all of His people and fulfill all righteousness. And there He died on that accursed tree and was brought into the grave. And swiftly 
Only three days later, he came up out of the grave Sunday morning. Then he showed himself to his people, his disciples, but only for 40 days because swiftly he would go up and be taken by a cloud and ride into the highest heavens. And then very swiftly, after only 10 days, he would come right back by pouring out His Holy Spirit upon the church. And now He is at God's right hand, and you read the book of Revelation, and you hear what Jesus says at God's right hand, and He does not say, Behold, I come. Mm -mm. He's a messenger. He says, Behold, I come quickly. The messenger of the covenant. I'm coming swiftly, as always, to take my Zion out of this world and to lift her up into the highest heights of heaven in the consummation of the covenant. I come swiftly. He came. And He's coming. And there's nothing more beautiful to Zion. You try to imagine once what it would be like if Christ had never come. And we're still back in the dispensation of shadows. Or, if He would not come, and here you are tonight in your life, and with your sin, and all the troubles and tribulations of your life, with no Jesus, it is unimaginable to us how beautiful, exclaimed Zion, are the feet, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an immediate, there's an ultimate, and now finally there's a broad application of the main teaching of the text. So thirdly, the statement applies broadly to the preacher of the Gospel today. So much so that we actually choose to use the word preacher in the theme of the sermon, though you don't find preacher in the text. But Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 demand that we understand this text to be applying to preachers. Romans 10, 14 and 15 how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, that is, in Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So Christ, exalted in heaven, is the great messenger at God's right hand. And by His Spirit and through the church, He sends preachers to Zion. And that's how we must understand this text. Now, that the feet of the preacher in the text refer to His coming is confirmed by Romans chapter 10. In Romans 10, the Apostle is not quoting Isaiah 52 to prove that the church has a great deal of excitement and gladness to receive the messenger of Jehovah. 
That's the teaching of Isaiah 52. How great is the excitement of Zion. That's not why Paul appeals to Isaiah 52. He's appealing to Isaiah 52 to prove that the preacher must be sent. How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? And then he quotes Isaiah. But Isaiah doesn't appear to be saying anything about the messenger's sending that someone sent him. Unless you understand feet figuratively to refer to his coming. The messenger's coming to Zion. And then that does imply that someone sent him with a message. Go bring this message to Zion. And then that raises the question, well, who sent him? It's God who sent him. And now in the new dispensation, Christ at God's right hand by the Spirit and through the church, He sends messengers. We ought to understand Isaiah 52 in terms of preachers. Preachers are sent to the church so that they come, and that coming is beautiful to Zion. And so the church today says, how beautiful to us. Not because the man himself is beautiful. He's just a man. He's a poor sinner. He's a creature of the dust, like every other man. But God's sending of that man. And Jesus Christ and His Word coming to us through that man are so beautiful that we exclaim, how beautiful to us. So when God sends a young man to seminary, so that the young man starts taking pre-seminary courses and says, I'm going to seminary. I want to go to seminary. That coming to seminary, Zion says about it, how beautiful to us. And when a man goes through seminary and out of seminary and he's declared a candidate for the gospel ministry and now one of the churches can call him, the church says, like like a tulip coming in the spring, the coming of this young man to the churches is so beautiful to us. And when there's a vacant church that's been calling and calling and no man comes, and there's a group of believers huddled in a foreign land, and they say, come over and help us. We want a missionary sent to us to preach among us. And they wait and they wait. And then one one day, God sends to that vacant church, God sends to those people on the mission field a man to bring good tidings. Then they say, this is the most beautiful thing to us in the whole world. A man through whom we can hear the Word of our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful to us. And every Sunday, when a faithful man comes into the pulpit, swiftly and with urgency, as a dying man with a word of life for dying people, then all together, Zion exclaims week after week after week, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bringeth good tidings. How beautiful. Why is the coming 
of this messenger so beautiful to Zion? The reason is the message, the beauty of the message. Zion needs a message that is good, a message of peace, a message of salvation. Zion always does. Whether Zion is facing a 70-year captivity for her sins, whether Zion is in a 70-year captivity for her sins, or whether Zion is, as she is today, God's little church in the world that is always oppressed by powerful enemies, always groaning under the burden of her sin, and fearing the power of Satan and the terror of death and the wrath of God, Zion needs a message, a good message. Zion will never be able to find any good word anywhere around her in the whole of the world. When there's a man in Zion, though, who sees a little speck moving out in the distance, swiftly, getting closer and closer, Then he says to all the boys and girls and men and women of Zion, come. And they all come running. And the little children hoist it up so they can see up over the wall. Look. Swiftly coming and getting bigger and bigger. It's a messenger from Jehovah God. And what will God speak to us? The reason... The coming of the messenger of Zion is so beautiful to Zion is the content, the beautiful content of the message. And it is described in the text this way. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that one bringeth good tidings. Two, publisheth peace. Now some repetition for emphasis. Three, that bringeth good tidings of good, and for that publisheth salvation. And now tie them all together, that says unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Three words. Thy God reigneth. The good message in three words. The peace that is published in three words. The salvation of Zion In three words, thy God reigneth. Not two words, God reigneth. Not the message. God reigneth. God is the omnipotent, thrice holy God of strict justice who will by no means acquit the guilty and has the power to destroy the sinner, both body and soul, in everlasting hell. God reigneth. Not God reigneth. The good, the peace, the salvation is Thy God reigneth. Zion. Thy God who has set His love upon you from eternity and chosen you. Zion. Thy God who so loves you that He sent His only begotten Son and shed that precious blood for your redemption. Zion, that God who takes you and your children and who incorporates you into His everlasting covenant of grace and says, you are mine and I am yours. Zion, thy God reigneth. He reigneth. 
God is king forever. Let the nations tremble. He's king over all the universe, the heavens above, the earth beneath, all the kingdoms and nations of men. No one makes him king. No one crowns him king. He doesn't become king because he received a majority of votes. Whether anyone says it or not, whether anyone believes it or not, God is king forever. King over the whole of the universe. And God, for Jesus' sake, is king who reigns over his people, Zion, in all the sweetness of his grace. He rules over Zion. He's the sovereign savior over Zion so that all of Zion's salvation, decreed from eternity, accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit so that we believe and repent and obey. And that salvation perfected one day in heaven. It is all the salvation of our God who reigns over Zion in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thy God reigneth. Now those are the three words that Zion always needs and wants to hear. When Zion is shackled in heavy chains and marched all the way to Babylon, and there she has to hang up her willows, she does hang up her harps on the willows, and says, we will not sing in this alien land. And those cruel and rude captors are harassing her and taunting her. And she's sitting by the riverside, weeping and howling and sorrowing over her sins. The whole of Zion's experience is Nebuchadnezzar and his god Bel reigneth. When Zion today is oppressed by wicked rulers and bullied by progressive movements promoting lawlessness in society and threatened and persecuted and damned and cursed, then Zion's whole experience in this world says to her, wicked man reigneth. And when there's a man in Zion feels the guilt of his own sin. And he feels the power and the kind of stranglehold that sin can have upon his soul. As he struggles, some man in Zion struggling every day with his besetting sin of lust for a woman, his besetting sin of greed and a searching for the vanity of riches, his besetting sin of anger, which he cannot seem to control, his anger and his being consumed by the things of this earth and by his work and his career, his pride, whatever it may be, and he becomes perhaps convinced that I'm nothing but a God-hating wretch will perish forever in the depths of hell. And his whole experience seems to cry out to him, sin reigns within you. Zion needs good tidings. And when Zion gathers to worship, And Zion sees the preacher, the messenger of God, swiftly coming to her, which is the coming of Christ Himself. 
coming with good tidings of peace, saying, Nebuchadnezzar does not reign. Bel does not reign. Wicked man does not reign. And the sin within you, which yet remains and is so powerful, sin does not reign. Zion, thy God reigneth. Zion exclaims, how beautiful are the feet of him that brings those good tidings. Thy God reigneth. It's only when the preacher declares, Thy God reigneth, that he brings good tidings. If the message of salvation is anything other than salvation in an absolutely sovereign Savior, it's bad tidings. Zion's salvation by the works of her hands is bad tidings. Can you imagine being a messenger? And going all the way to Zion in captivity in Babylon to declare unto her that by the power of her own hands and her own will and work and worth, she must set herself free from Nebuchadnezzar. Little Zion must set herself free from Nebuchadnezzar and come back to the Holy Land. Or even worse, that she must appease the wrath of God that she must reconcile herself unto the living God by her own works. Those are not good tidings. And Zion says to any messenger who brings such a message as swiftly as you came, leave, because no message is better than a bad message. But how beautiful are the feet of them that proclaim good tidings Thy God reigneth. And Jesus Christ in whom is the whole of your salvation, He reigns now and forever for you. And only when the preacher declares, Thy God reigneth, does He publish peace and publish salvation. Peace is the absence of war. Zion... Because your God reigns, your suffering in Babylon is over. Come back. Come back to your land. There's peace for you. Zion, because thy God reigns, He's taken away your warfare. He sent His own servant to suffer, to accomplish your warfare, to be punished for your sins to appease God's wrath, to reconcile you unto God. There's no more war, Zion. There's no more war between you and God. There's peace. Your warfare is over. But peace is not only the absence of, because God reigns in the Lord Jesus Christ, God not only takes away, but God gives All the life of His covenant. Because God reigns in Jesus Christ, God prepares a perfect righteousness that He imputes to the people of Zion so that they are clothed in perfection before Him. And God takes the Spirit of Jesus Christ and He blows that Spirit into Zion and the members of Zion so that they not only have an imputed righteousness, but... They have an actual righteousness 
by which they live, strive to live according to the will of God, so that indwelt by the Spirit, they love what God loves, and they hate what God hates, and they seek what God seeks, yea, the glory of His own name. And as they walk in that way, they enjoy peace and the blessings of their God who reigns over them for Jesus' sake. Thy God reigneth. That's the good tidings. That's the peace. That's the salvation that the messenger brings. And so his coming is beautiful to Zion. The text then is Zion's exclamation. That the preacher's feet are beautiful, that's one thing. That's a wonder of grace. That Zion recognizes it, that's another thing. And that's another wonder of grace. That Zion recognizes and then says something about the beautiful coming of the messenger. And so we have in the text not a declaration, not a statement of fact. The feet of him that bringeth, and so on, are beautiful, period. But the text is an exclamation. It begins with the exclamatory, how? And it ends with that exclamatory mark we call the exclamation mark. So that Zion, as a word, doesn't know what to say. She's so overwhelmed with gratitude and praise. She, she exclaims, how beautiful. And that's her antithetical exclamation over against Babylon. Babylon is the wicked world. and Babylon will be the wicked world joined together with the false church which exclaims how foolish and how offensive and how worthless and be cursed are the feet of them that bring their message, their worthless message to Zion. But over against whatever Babylon says about the messengers of God, Zion always exclaims, how beautiful are the feet. So let it be heard. Exclaim it. Not with a forced manufactured enthusiasm and joy, but with deep and genuine religious feeling and praise and gratitude, exclaim it. How beautiful are the preacher's feet. Zion today is in urgent need of preachers. But what if Zion never exclaims? What if Zion never even whispers how beautiful or what if all the boys in Zion ever hear is the plowman and the milkman and the blacksmith and the carpenter and the merchant and the doctor how beautiful are their feet But the boys never hear anyone say, how beautiful are the preacher's feet. Or what if Zion speaks against the text? What if the boys and girls go home from church 
And there's never any discussion about the word of the gospel that was delivered with a view to edification. That's, of course, to build up. But if there's anything that's ever said about the gospel word, it's always criticism or a picking apart, perhaps even a bashing. Then what little boy is ever going to say, how beautiful are the preacher's feet? Or what if the head of the home asserts himself and establishes himself as the chief of police? And the head elder above all of the elders in all of the churches of the denomination, and all day long he listens to sermons, all the sermons of all the preachers throughout all the churches as a policeman who's looking for infractions. And when he finds something he doesn't like, an infraction in his eyes, and then he sends out a message to all of his friends, look at what I found And then to say nothing about the man's heart and what's wrong deep, deep, deep within him, what about the whole environment and the atmosphere of his home? His boys and girls are going to grow up and say how dissectable to our authoritarian eyes are all of the statements and sentences of all of the preachers in all of the the churches. We are like Dad, the chief of police, the head elder above all the elders in all the churches, but they'll never say, apart from a miracle, how beautiful are the preacher's feet. Or what if the boys and girls only ever hear a discouraging word about preaching and preachers So that all sons here is, you don't really want to be a minister, do you? You know how hard it is to be a minister? And do you know what Jesus says about coming great tribulation? And what that might mean for you, son, if you become a minister? And you don't really want to be a minister, do you? Do you know that you will not be able to have a fun-filled, independent life? Or what will happen, son, if you have to move out of state or maybe into another country like Canada or God sends you on the other side of the world to a foreign mission field? We will hardly ever be able to see you and our grandchildren. You don't really want to be a minister, do you? The Word of God says, How beautiful are the feet. Let not Zion testify against the text, but exclaim the content of the text. What if Zion's preachers are a bad example to the youth, so that the coming is not beautiful, but it's ugly? Because the preacher is a carnal wolf in sheep's clothing, who only devours in Zion. Or is nothing but a proud antagonist who just loves to fight? Or is a pompous, arrogant, ambitious glory seeker who loves the pulpit, but only for self-advancement? Or is a worthless man as a lazy bum who refuses to work 
refuses to work and will not bring even a little crumb of bread for the souls of God's people because he's loafing around and has all of his attention in all of the things of this life, but is not working or will not make the declaration of God's messengers, Thy God reigneth, but says something less or something different than His coming is not beautiful to Zion. We don't make preachers by what we do. We don't make them. God does. Only God can make a preacher. And only God can send a preacher. And God has sent us preachers. And you have a preacher. And we have many preachers. And we owe God much gratitude because we don't deserve a single one. Not even one. But God has given us many. And God be thanked. And because God can use and God is pleased to use the exclamation of the text to work in the hearts of young boys and young men an aspiration for the gospel ministry, let Zion, for many reasons including that one, exclaim how beautiful. So exclaim it. Now you can put it in your own words. And to help a child, put it in your own words. But exclaim it. So let the older members of the church exclaim it so that the younger members hear it. And let the office bearers of the church exclaim it so that all the members of the congregation hear it. And let father and mother or father or mother in the home exclaim it so that boys and girls hear it. Let the teacher in the schoolroom and the catechism teacher exclaim it so that the children hear it. How beautiful are the preacher's feet. Do you hear that? How beautiful are the preacher's feet. Young men. And you boys, all you little boys sitting here tonight, listen. Whatever anyone, anywhere, may ever say about preachers, I want all you boys to know what the Word of God says about preachers. It says, beautiful Their coming is beautiful. And if God would ever take you one day and put you in the ministry and send you to a church, this is what the church will say. How beautiful is that coming? Beautiful. Like a flower in the spring. Like the rising sun like a bride in her dress. You know what that word means. Beautiful. That's the Word of God. Young men and boys,
Think about that. And pray about that. And we will with you. Amen. Father in heaven, come to us again and again with thy word from heaven and with the Holy Spirit and fill us so that we respond and say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto any, any gospel preacher, not unto any man or woman be the glory, but unto thy name forever and ever be all glory and honor. In Jesus' name do we pray.